This is Alexander Freed, author of the Alphabet Squadron novels, and you are listening to the Living Force Podcast. Welcome to the Living Force Podcast. There isn't a pilot in the Imperial Fleet that can outrun me. A Utini Podcast Network production. They come, it's all part of the plan. Episode 108, Alphabet Squadron Victory's Price Roundtable, Part 2. Chopper, reroute coolant to the engine. <laughs> On this episode, what are your plans for May the 4th? Phoenix Squadron, let's get out of here. New Patreon supporters. There's a lot you don't know about my ship. And the Utini crew continues their roundtable discussion on the new Star Wars novel, Alphabet Squadron Victory's Price by Alexander Freed. That's the first good news I've gotten today. And now, here are your hosts. May the force be with you. Eric Eilerson, Dr. Charles Henkel, and Wes Jenkins. What is up, everyone? Welcome into the Living Force. It is Monday night. It is some Star Wars time. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Eilerson, and joining me tonight to chat about some pilots, about some prices, about some victory. First of all, we have Dr. Charles Hankel. Hey, buddy. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? I hope you can hear me, and I hope you can hear us throughout the rest of this show. We're going we're gonna to keep rolling with the punches. It's going to be fine. Yeah, so you were just a, your first intro spot for you. Is, is a, it's a new I thing. I got moved up. I'm, I'm batting first in the lineup. You're, batting, you're making way up in the leagues, man. Uh, just good. like our own, our own buddy who is running literally everything tonight. Wes Jenkins, how you holding in there, buddy? I am stressed <laughs> out. <laughs> you can't just send me a file and and be, and think that it's all going to mesh well with the computer. This thing is it's very intricate, but you know, uh, we'll get through it. This is actually the show is a hell of a lot better right now since Corey's not here. Uh. All right, take it away. <laughs> That's Eric. right. Well, so for those of you that may wonder. That was an odd intro. It was new. Yes, we are missing um, our Dr. Corey Helton, as we said last week. He's working the night shift and is hanging in the chat tonight. Uh, I did want to point out one very important thing at the top of the show. Jose called me out because I am running on my new PC tonight. I'm very happy. I'm very stoked. I finally, guys, I built a computer. I did it. Finally. It is fast. It is quick. It is, however, not running this show. So any... Technical gaffes may be my fault, but I won't know I'm doing them because Wes is in control of everything, man. That's right. And this is the so audition to see if Corey doesn't come back. Minor P's and Q's. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. This chat's already going to be great. Well, everyone, this week uh, in Star Wars news, there wasn't a ton of stuff, but we're going to chat about a couple things here. Uh, first of all, a very belated happy birthday to friend of the show, friend of the community, friend of the universe, Kevin Scott. Had his birthday this week. So, Kevin, happy birthday, man. We love you. We hope you had a great day. Uh, I don't know if y'all saw on his Instagram and Twitter today, he got his Jackson figure. So, I think nice. that was like how many years <laughs> in the making, you know? So happy for him. I, I hope that him and George Mann had a beer or something. Uh, That's what I that hope. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? Um, I can't wait to have a beer with literally anyone. Uh, second dose on <laughs> second dose. <laughs> What am I saying? My two weeks after my second dose is Wednesday. There so, you go. Fully vaccinated. Okay. I'm feeling good, yeah. baby. Uh, do, you think he, uh, do you think he got his figure in and signed it to himself? That'd be me. To Kevin. Love Kevin. No, to young, <laughs> to 11-year-old Kevin. We made it, baby. Love <laughs> adult Kevin. We did it. We did it. He just shakes his own hand. 
<laughs> God. Well, I, I hope he had a great time with it because we also had a great time this week seeing a preview of some of his work over at the good old StarWars.com. They had a preview of his upcoming graphic novel, The Monster at Temple Peak, which is uh, pretty rad. Do we, have a, do we have a little preview of that we can throw up? I don't know. I think I'm going out of order. I may be throwing you off, Wes. You're, you're going out of order. I'm going out of order. What's the next in the order? What's the correct order? We can we can find the monster at Temple monster Peak. Temple Peak. Well, here's I mean, what here's what I'll sec. say while we're finding it. Is that uh they announced this week that the monster at Temple Peak, the original graphic novel by Kevin Scott starring Ty Yorick will be coming out this August of 2021. Uh it's going to come out in four monthly installments though. We weren't sure if it was going to be released all at once. Uh, but it will be coming out. There we go. Look at that. You're amazing at what you do, buddy. Uh, Thanks. We got our first look at the art here. It's going to be released in four installments starting in August. So assuming they're probably going to be around five or six bucks, a little longer than your normal monthly comic. But check out some of this art we saw. This is Ty York, Monster Hunter, uh, art by Rachel Stott. And uh, this oh is my, some good stuff right here. Oh, my goodness. Look at these. Look at these monsters. These scary boys. I like them. Uh, you could say that. I could. Excellent. <laughs> I could. They're uh, they're pretty cool looking, and I really like the the vibe of this. It feels very eighties, doesn't it? Like kind of like eighties Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah. Look at her yeah. saber. That's oh. super cool. That hilt is, it is pink. Just... I think yeah. it's pink, purple, pink. Yeah. I think it's pink. It's pinkish, isn't it? That's uh, cool. Yeah, I really dig it. And Ty also got her very own video on um. StarWars.com, one of those like character profiles that they've been doing with the High Republic. So if you're interested, head over to StarWars.com, check out more of this, check out the weekend Star Wars where we premiered the video, and of course the Star Wars YouTube channel has that as well. Uh, one last thing we wanted to share at the top of the episode here that I think I told you I was going to do first, and I apologize for going out of order, is today is the two-year anniversary. <laughs> Of our recording, episode zero of The Living Force. And in our Discord channel, I just put up my setup that I use for the show. It's a two-monitor setup. Very happy with it. But I wanted to show you all what I used two years ago to, to record our first episode. Wes, throw that up. Um, this was... This is the... This I is love started. it. I love it. This is... I love, I love your, your play school desk that you got there. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the kids eat here and the yep. adults will eat in the dining room. This is the, this also was, <laughs> this is the laptop that was louder in the microphone than your voice with the fans. Yeah, man. <laughs> it was rough. This was like a it was running Windows 7 barely. It was a blue snowball mic in the middle of just an echoey dining room in actors housing in the middle of Alabama. Those <laughs> headphones I have were held together you can see with black electrical tape. <laughs> and beautiful. that was how we began and now here we are guys with a weekly live stream show so but you know the blue yeti mic is it's a staple it's not it's nothing to scoff oh at. no oh no but that's so the, got... the snowball man that was pre-yeti <laughs> even that was like i got that in college for like a drunk dare or something <laughs> but anyway that was a little it came up my time up i wanted to share with you all uh you know what no matter what your setup is though as long as you love star wars you can talk about it, and sometimes people will listen and hang out with you for two years. So thank you all for being here since episode <laughs> zero. 
Uh, next thank you, of course, we want to give, though, is to our lovely Patreon community. Our show was supported by a ton of amazing patrons, and this week, we wanted to welcome a couple folks. We got Chirps, who joined as a monthly patron, Matt Young, who became a monthly patron, and Michael Anuziata, who became an annual patron, which we love, uh, gives us support throughout the year, saves you a little bit of money, so thank you all for supporting Utini and everything we do. We hope to see you, he segues. At the May the 4th Night of the Opera watch event with our Inquisitorious patrons, we are going to hang out. We, of course, are going to watch that sweet, sweet Bad Batch premiere episode. Um, I'm not going to lie to y'all and say I'm not going to wake up at 5 in the morning and watch it by myself first. But May 4th in the evening, I believe we're just about finalizing the start time. Should be around 7.30 Eastern. We're going to hang out and watch the Bad Batch. Guys, how stoked are you for both the Bad Batch and for this event to hang out with our patrons? We haven't done it in forever. Um, I haven't wa- yeah, watched the Bad Batch since we watched it the first time when, it had the- when we had the event. So I'm really excited. It's, it's great to hear the banter because last time we did, we did a watch along. Nobody watched the show. So yeah. um, I <laughs> <Yeah>. think... <laughs> I that, think this time around we're going to be paying attention a little bit. A smidge. Yeah. That worries it. me because, yeah, I, I'm working. <laughs> and so I think that the first time I'll get to watch it will be at this event. So I'm going to be the one shushing you from the back row yeah, of the well, opera I would, I would definitely recommend <laughs> if I could that before any Utini Patreon watch event, you, dear patrons, try to watch the thing before yes. you come in. But if it's your first time, we'll try to be as respectful as possible. <laughs> Uh, but again, that'll be May the 4th. I can't wait to watch that and to also hope that they'll release some new Funkos and be, of course, very disappointed when they don't. But what I am not disappointed in, I'm killing these segues tonight, guys. I feel good. I feel good. Uh, is our patron of the week, Charles. Will you please lend your dulcet tones to our patron of the week, our very own Adam Dyson? Yes, Adam Dyson is the patron of the week. And he says... My name is Adam, and I'm from Newcastle, Australia. I found Star Wars when I was about waist high. My mother, fed up with dealing with my school holiday-induced craziness, sat me down, made some popcorn, and threw on Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. Or, as Adam probably said, Return of the Jedi. At the time, <laughs> I'd never heard of a Star Wars, and quite frankly, as it wasn't Pokemon, I wasn't all that excited and told her that. She ignored that and pressed play. When the dust settled, I didn't even know how to spell Pokemon anymore. I begged her to let me watch it again, and a third time, before she carted me off to bed. I look back on this moment and still remember the profound effect it had on me. Anakin's sacrifice hit me hard and still does. Here was a man saving his son. Simple, really, and for a boy without a dad in his life, it was everything. To no one's surprise, my favorite Star Wars story is Anakin's story as a whole. Whether it's a film, comic, book, or a TV show, it all matters to me. One story, one smile. I found Utini through another podcast. Corey was a guest, and his descriptions of the site, the show, and the vision hooked me, line, and sinker. I jumped across the living force at the same time, completely forgetting the show Corey had guested on in the first place. It wasn't long before I became a patron and gave him all of my life savings. I have an important <laughs> question, which will prove both insightful and thought-provoking. If Disney Plus greenlit a documentary series about Hayden Christensen's smile, should it be 10 episodes long or cut to 8? personally i'd prefer a multi-season format also as it is hayden's birthday today i am making an executive decision with the complete lack of power i have to dedicate this episode of tlf to him 
In all seriousness, though, this community has meant the world to me. It has been there for the highs and some incredible lows. Utini was there to help pick me up, dust me off, and nudge me forward. Also, I love being a part of the team and maintaining a safe place, Discord, for others to come together and talk all things Hayden Christensen. So to everyone who calls Utini home, except Timothy, he knows why. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> and may the force be with you, always. Uh Awesome. Well, that was awesome. That's great. Adam, we love you, man. And yes, uh, for those of you that may not know, Adam is our uh, now one of our uh, Discord moderators, but really has is kind of the driving force behind the Utini Discord that has grown this community exponentially. Uh, our, our, of course, Hayden Christensen stand above all. I can't believe the patron of the week happened to fall on his birthday. <laughs> uh, although I do blame Adam, your mortal enemy, Timothy and co-host of Conja book club. <laughs> Check them out on Saturdays uh, for making that happen. But to his very important question, guys, if uh, Hayden Christensen's smile was made into a Disney plus documentary, eight or 10, what do you think? I think we, we can, we, cause you could separate it by tooth. You could separate it by mood. I don't know. There's so many opp- opportunities here. I, I think you have to go eight episodes because you don't want to give too much away. You want people mm-hmm. coming back for more, right? That's so true. after that eighth episode, there's like chomping at the bit. No pun intended. So that's a smile <laughs> pun. Um, <laughs> I don't care. Wow. Man. Just just bring back Hayden Christensen. I'm so stoked to see him back on the screen playing Anakin. Um yeah, why not? Bring on a documentary about his smile. Bring on a documentary about his mullet. Bring it all on. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I would say I would also say eight. I think the eight episode format is maybe the perfect amount of television for like any any topic. Pretty much, mm. I love the eight. You're right. Ten doesn't get get a bit long in the tooth. I think you got to um. do eight or you got to do a thirteen. <laughs> well, the question uh, is, does he floss? <laughs> oh, he has to. Uh, That's what the Anakin answer flosses. Vader does not. <laughs> Uh, but yes, when the Kenobi series happens, I'm sure Adam and all of our resident Hayden fans are going to be so stoked because we'll also finally get new Hayden like production photos, like photos of Anakin Skywalker Real. in live action for the first time since 2005. So can't wait. Adam, thank you for all you do, man, on this team and this community. Much love. Uh, cannot wait to hear you guys keep dissecting everything that you do on Conjure Book Club every single week. Uh, and speaking of the good old Conjure Book Club... You might want to hang out there uh, in the coming months because they do the books as they come out before our roundtables. And coming up, they're going to focus on the upcoming release, Throne Ascendancy, Greater Good. This beautiful red boy next to me right over here. That is up for pre-order now on the Utini New Releases page. Check that out, April 27th. And as a reminder, as with all Utini New Releases, on the day the book is released, there will be a full spoiler light, I'll say, uh, review on the website written there will also be a video review on our youtube channel so be ready on that release day to check out all our coverage of throne ascendancy greater good and be sure to get those pre-orders in uh through utini give us a little bit of a kickback if you feel so inclined and while you're over there you may as well pre-order every star wars book coming out this year because come on come on yeah. you're gonna Did do it, it. You're going to do it. All right. It's just fun to see him come in the mail, guys. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Victory's Friends Roundtable, part two. Charles, where do we leave off? All right. So, we are still talking about characters. Last time, we talked about some big ones. We talked about Hera. We talked about Will. We talked about Nath. But it's time to talk about 
Kairos. All right. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Please answer <laughs> all it. questions in that exact voice. Um, okay. So uh, please don't. Uh, <laughs> don't test me. So Kairos, right. despite being one of my favorite additions to the Alphabet Squadron series, I'm sure you all remember I have been Team Kairos since very early on. We may spend the least amount of time talking about her because we don't really – understand what happened um at least i don't maybe y'all can help me out with that uh to start off i wanted to talk about this description of kairos that came really nice and early in the book it was on page 15 maybe it's my favorite description of her ever it reads she was dressed in a cloak in loose gray cloth that might have been sewn from stained sheets and her face was a patchwork of chitinous plates some a deep violet others a lighter mauve marbled with white veins some chipped and discolored, others polished and bright. Deep-set eyes peered out from that map of a splintered world, gazing into the bedlam ahead. Man, that, um, that still gives well, me chills. Yeah, man. So that's Kairos. Uh, and while every <laughs> pilot in Alphabet Squadron evolved emotionally throughout this trilogy, Kairos did so physically. And right. that was kind of a, an outward show of what was changing with her inwardly. So what did you make of Kairos' ever-changing appearance, and how did it inform you as to her character and, and what her character was going through? Dude, Kairos, what an interesting character. Just like, like just to say it at, at the beginning, right? Like, what a character, unlike anything we've seen in Star Wars before or will probably see for a while, I'd say. Like, Freed clearly... I feel I had so much love for this character and her journey. And I think Kairos to me basically embodies what you said in that she defines evolution to the point of a person that is constantly changing, like you said, both outwardly and inwardly. And I found it really interesting in this book to discover that she was evolving because she had become contaminated in a way, or she felt like she was unworthy and she was so afraid, we find out rightly so, that she would be shunned or attacked by her own people. And she was trying to fix herself, trying to fix herself, trying to fix herself. And what she ended up becoming wasn't quite, I think, what she had envisioned, but was still something wholly new. And I think that's maybe, I mean, if that's not the best metaphor for this trilogy, for all the characters, I don't know what is. Right, and this, in her species was never defined right like there's right. not an actual word for it yeah um and and it, it was like you said she had a, a basically like a metamorphosis from the first book to all the way to the end mm -hmm. uh, but she didn't say much of anything in the first book right she may have said a couple words to wasn't it to will when they were around when like they were in that um like circle or that camp oh yeah the campfire and then, scene and then like when quell yeah. was gonna get hurt or like she was gonna try to kill her or something maybe that was Shadowfall. i don't know very yeah. soft-spoken in yeah. the first books. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, if somebody would have told me that this was in Legends, I'd have believed it. But, yes! Um, <laughs> so, just her, her outward appearance, I was, I mean, I was hoping she was a Tusken Raider, right? Yeah. But we don't sure. know if she, if she was or she wasn't. I mean, anybody can be a Tusken Raider I, from what I've read. Yeah, right. Um, but, uh, yeah, her, she's just a mystery. I mean... Since we don't know exactly what her species is, it leads up to interpretation. It leads up to our own imaginations to let us figure out what she is. And then if you listen to the audiobook, you already have part of her voice uh, mapped out for you. So yeah. 
that's something that that's a, a plus for the audiobook listeners. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And now there's another quote that came on page 181 and it says Cairo still looked like she could murder an army, but she also looked ready to burst into tears. And we uh, learned you know, later. I feel that on a Monday. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. God. Well, we later learned why Kairos may have been ready to burst into tears. And y'all have already kind of been talking about it a little bit. But we finally got her whole backstory. And on page yeah. 248, Kairos kind of reveals more of her past. And she says this. She says, among my people, I was an emissary. My responsibility was to mediate between the solid world and the world of stars. I spoke for us to invisible beings of air. The Empire, it was not invisible, but it was from the world of stars. It called me shaman, but I do not know what that word means. I went to the outpost. We knew of the Empire, but I did not understand. It was my responsibility to mediate, but the Empire did not want this. They took me. I know, Quell said after a while. They took you to a camp. They experimented on you because you were an unknown species. You escaped together. You and Aiden and ITO. So... Now we know more of that story, and while Kairos may not know what a shaman is, it's you know essentially a priest or a priestess who's using magic for all kinds of different things. So Kairos was essentially a priestess, a person of peace, but after experimentation by the Empire became the harbinger of death that we first met in Alphabet Squadron. So what are your thoughts on her past, knowing what we have known about her? It's interesting that a being who is such a professed, you know, peace lover, essentially, or like a, a communicator, right? She was the person that was the bridge, was met as essentially almost a silent being that was only about war. And it's like how she became so the complete opposite to begin with and was always trying to struggle to fight there. I thought is is very interesting. Andrew Bell in our chat is uh, telling us to look up the meaning of the word kairos. <laughs> so I'm going to do that right now. Kairos is uh, a propitious moment for decision or action. The concept of kairos is the right time or opportunity for something. Hmm. Which, now that's the interesting right, too. Meaning the right, critical, or opportune moment. Interesting. Greek word. Yeah. And... Knowing her past now, that's interesting because, you know, was she always just looking for the right moment to try to find her way back, to try to redefine herself, to become what she was? Because it sounds like like many species who the Empire corrupted and colonized and took over, like, was living a pretty decent life, was liking her purpose, was serving her people. And then the Empire came in, ruined it, fundamentally changed her, and then she formed these bonds that she thought you know, could maybe give her a new sense of purpose. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's very very interesting. Yeah. It's kind of like the empire came in and and tainted everything that Mm. her, like her tribe or her family was trying, working towards. So they had a journey. They had a path that they were trying to get to like a life path, but then they had the empire comes in and basically it sounds to me like they experimented on like, what I would think we would do with an alien. Yeah. And you know, like if yeah. we straight we up try to get our hands yeah. on them and then dissect them and mm-hmm. try to understand them in ways that we know. Wes, have you but, not seen Mars and- attacks? That <laughs> does not go well for us. Can we not talk about Mars attack? That's all I'm going to think about now. The rest of that. Rock, 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 rock. <laughs> 
It's true, though. I mean, it is. I do like to, and I think some people may find this frustrating um, with Kairos, is that it, it is not, even though we get her backstory, it's still not super specific to a lot of it. Like, we get, we do get a lot of info, but as far as, like, a species name we don't even get, the all these things are still so yeah. kind of abstract. We'll never know if but we I, see another one. Because yeah. we don't, uh, we wouldn't know based on the description because yeah. it wouldn't sound right. like Kairos. We wouldn't know based right. on a species name because we never learned that. Like we, right. like we will, we will go the rest of Star Wars and we'll never know. It's yeah, crazy. and how dare us go through all, of, <laughs> and how dare us go through Star Wars and assume that we would know every species as a reader or as a narrator right. even. I think that's right. that's interesting too. Like it makes the galaxy even bigger to get all of this backstory about a species and still kind of know nothing. It's true. Do we Ugh. so the plates that she had, you know, fastened, glued, mm -hmm. they were part of her body. Was that from y'all think that was from like her upbringing or is that was that always with her or is that something that had to be put on her from the experimentation from the empire? So I don't have a quote here saved, but what I do know is that she at one point says that they literally ripped Oh wait, wait I lied. I do have the quote. Um, there we go. <laughs> so let me let me just read this. Let me just read this, and it may help answer that question. She had not been named Kairos when she'd been young, nor when she had become the emissary of her people. She had not been named Kairos in the camp when they had made her less than she was, when they'd ripped away her skin to see what was underneath. She'd named herself oh, Kairos only after being given life by Aiden, who had acted with purity of intent, but given her no choice in the matter. Kairos was the name yeah. of the creature who cocooned herself and sought to heal. Kairos was the name of the creature bound by blood and spirit and horror to Aiden and ITO and who waged war against the Empire uh, while her soul mended. So uh, maybe that's what's underneath. Maybe that's how she was healing, but I don't think yeah. the appearance with the plates yeah. was her normal species. Yeah. Okay, I mean, that kind of clears it up. Yeah. My real name is Susan. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I am okay. now Kairos, but I was Susan Smith. <laughs> <laughs> okay well let, i lived I'm, in the suburbs i'm sorry to whoever's actually named susan smith that's listening to this um <laughs> but no they I, took me from a to work <laughs> <laughs> they took me from a trader joe's oh my god <laughs> see what happens Corey, when you let us, when you let us just run around like idiots <laughs> okay right, trying to get us back on track here uh the rest of the quote that i was just reading actually says this um then had come cerberon again aiden had given her no choice out of love he had called the surgeons of the new republic to strip away her suit her cocoon her last protection against the world that was not her world aiden had done this out of love in ito too but their love was not the love of her people she had woken, no longer truly Kairos, no longer anything, remade in body and incomplete in essence, whole in flesh but wrong in spirit. She could not accept the disgrace of her people knowing what had become of her. So it, it's kind of cool because the person that we consider Kairos, you know, she didn't even consider herself Kairos through a lot of this no. story that, that we read um, ever since the events from Shadowfall, at least. And I want to get your thoughts on... Kairos knowing that she would not be welcomed back by her people, that because of what others had done to her, and not just the Empire, but Aiden and Aitio, you know, when they thought they were doing something to help her, because of what she'd become, she, she knew she could never go back. 
it's heavy, that's, man. See, that's yeah, that's interesting. Like, why they wouldn't accept her back after being tortured like that? I mean, almost like they are there. I don't know. This may be a stretch, but there's. I mean, there could be like the darker parallels with, you know, like cult-ish type people that like assume that you need to be jazz. untainted or or the, the world makes yeah jazz or like even in our you know in our world there are definitely those sects of people that say if you leave you are unclean you are tainted by the the the, the, the awfulness the sin of the world like yeah i think it's rooted in kind of deep prejudice for anything unknown perhaps and anything outside their world i mean they see that the only thing to come into their world and taint it is the empire which destroys so you know, maybe they their belief system is so rigid that they're unable to welcome back a daughter like that. And it really, you know, I mean, it, 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 hurt, it hurt to read because you could tell that even though she knew it was coming, that um, point when they do literally attack them on the planet. Like, how crushing to have every doubt, every fear confirmed. Yeah. Like, just had to be heart-wrenching when you've worked so hard to you know literally recreate yourself molecularly to become accepted and to go back home and you just can't yeah it's a bummer man yeah it is (laughs) guys kairos is a bummer (laughs) i know i'll say it i know well one interesting thing about all of that i think came on page 253 when kairos implies that since aiden and ito died more or less protecting quell kind of um mm-hmm. she kind of took her blood bond with aiden and ito and kind of just like transitioned it to quell almost like if you know i don't know when when han died spoiler alert like chewy just whoa you know moved his <laughs> life debt to whoever which i mean i guess he kind of, he kind of did but regardless yeah. what do you think of the bond between kairos and quell because Kairos made comments that made it seem like she both loved and hated Quell at the same time. Like she called her sister and she called her traitor. It was very, it was very odd, their relationship. God, that's like everyone with Quell, isn't it? I think every character was like, I love her. Maybe she'll die though. Like for the entire series. Uh, And it's also interesting because we are the only people that know that Quell like kind of killed Aiden and ITO. Like, I mean, that, that chapter of Shadowfall where all that happened is still, like, was one of the most revered chapters in the last few years of Star mm-hmm. Wars literature because mm-hmm. of how intense it was. But she's the only one that really lives with that story. So that's always, I, I have found, an interesting lens over which Kairos and Quell's relationship lives, right. at least in my mind. Yeah. Well... Let's talk about what happened with Kairos in the end. Because uh, I, I still yeah. don't really know. She just kind of leaves to be something else. Like, literally, all of the, the plates that have been covering her body for this you know, entire t- amount of time that we've known what she looks like underneath her mm-hmm. suit, they just kind of start falling away. And then she kind of just skips off into the sunset on Coruscant. So, <laughs> yeah, legit. I mean, yeah. What do you guys think she's up to now? I- I'm curious. What became of Kairos after the events of Victory's Price Ooh. in your mind? This is obviously not real. We're just making this up. But what do you think she's up to now? Dude. 
Well, when she's so yeah, her plates are falling, so she's obviously healing. Right. Um, she's healing physically, and she's been healing. Um, she was speaking with with Quell, right? Yep. She was speaking with Quell, and she was healing mentally most um, a little bit. But um, sounds to me like she's going to be a yoga teacher somewhere <laughs> on level 13 13 yes <laughs> we got that'd be a twisted studio i yeah there's definitely something spiritual in there cad ben made a cool point mm-hmm. uh in our chat he said that uh she sounded kind of like liquid at the at the end in a way so like seeing a visual representation would be amazing i think you know i we said before on the show a lot of the visual representations of modern literature stuff has been very helpful like with the higher public concept art the I mean, Alvin Squadron, they all got their character portraits for the first book. That was super helpful. I'd love to see what she looks like now, but I do think there may be something spiritual. Like, is she whatever the civilian version of taking the brash vow is, where she's Mm. just kind of off Mm. on her own? Like, she's trying to get in touch with the universe. Is she trying, like, does she have the power to tap into the Force to, like, hear the like like the wills or like anything like that i think it's it's something in that arena i don't think she ever touches a weapon again i don't think she ever joins a group like that again i think she's a solo monk that kind of just trying to listen to the song of the universe if you will to borrow avar chris's uh terminology wow i think that's what she's up to well, my answer is on the complete other end of the spectrum from yours, Eric, because I, I think she's opened a Euro stand somewhere out there on Coruscant, <laughs> and, and she would call it, she would mispronounce it, though. It'd be Gyros by Kairos, um, and it would, be, wow. it would be a real hit. So, And it's right next to Dex's diner, and he goes, Kairos, buddy! Yeah. <laughs> and just to say, Charles... I didn't even see thirteen thirteen on your. I love it on, on my your answer there, but I used it and I apologize. No, of course she goes to level thirteen thirteen. It's the weirdest place on Coruscant. <laughs> level right. thirteen thirteen is, is for all the stuff that apparently happens on there in Legends and Canon is the largest <laughs> level of right. Coruscant by miles. <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's play a quick game to round out everything with Kairos. I, I want you love games. I want you guys. This is one multiple choice question. It's Charles' right. stupid game, and yeah. I want you to tell me which of the following sentences was not said by Kairos throughout the course of this trilogy. Oh my god! Which one yes. was not said by her? Okay. okay. Right. Is it okay. choice okay. A? Open the body's window and the soul grows cold. Oh, this is going to be Sounds really hard. Like Kairos. Yep. Is it B, a lesser poison is not a cure? Is it C, not enough words in that one. The stain of evil cannot be cleaned. That sounds right. Yeah. Or is it the, the D, joke? is a turtle without a shell even a turtle at all? Uh, okay, I... <laughs> Which one it, was not is a said turtle by without a shell? Now I'm like, are there turtle? turtles in Star Wars? Because that's yeah, that jumps the out. The only one turtles. I would think is that one. So is the turtle. Your one answer is I don't D. Know what I... The joke is on you. None of these were said by Kairos, but the fact that you even had to <laughs> Wait, think about what? that tells us just how ridiculous <laughs> she is. Not a single one. Um, yeah, that's it. That's the that's the what? end of Charles' stupid game. Just make something God, up crazy, and people will wow. think Kairos said it. 
Because that's kind of open the body's window and the soul soul grows. Yeah, I thought about that one on a post twenty eight because I was in a mood. Okay, that's really good. That's just what comes to you now as you're sitting in the hospital, being like, "So this is what I'm doing for the next thirty years. This is it." Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, that's it for Kairos, y'all. We're gonna move on to someone who maybe we understand a little bit more, but maybe not, and that's Chastnachatic. Okay, so. Despite everything that we just said about Kyra, somehow Chas is probably still the wild card out of this whole bunch. Mm-hmm. And on page 10, Nath says about Chas, something was wrong with the girl, something new, different from the rat's nest of uncontested self-loathing, bitter fury, and suicidal impulses she lived in when they'd first met. And then on page 231, Quell says about Chas, Chaddock too seemed different. Where she'd always been volatile, now she seemed to oscillate between furious and withdrawn, with nothing in between. She was less than the person Quell remembered. And so, while Chas doesn't really clue her squadmates in on exactly what happened to her, we know that she's actually haunted by the voice of the leader of the cult that she joined in Shadowfall, and that was Latige. Mm. My question for you is this, do you think Chas was actually hearing Letitia's voice in her head as if she was having like genuine hallucinations or is she pretending it's Letitia to keep from having to confront the truths that she already knows about herself? I'm going to go oh. with the second one and Ooh. only because um, in Shadowfall, at the second one as in um, she's trying to, to keep from having to confront the truths. It's almost like Kind of like me, it's like I always have a podcast on or I'm always listening to something on my phone because I don't want to be alone with my thoughts. Yep. Um, <laughs> Hear that. Open the window uh, and the soul grows cold, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Jose, that's the next shirt. <laughs> so, But when I was reading Shadowfall, I didn't really see Chess as buying into the cult like she is, like Alexander, is, Alexander Freed is trying to show in the third book as her as being a devout member and always like going back to these teachings, always hear Lettich's, um messages in her head. I thought she was just there for a quick spur, see what it was like, killed somebody and then left. Like that's, I <laughs> yeah. didn't see her actually buying into the cult and their teachings, but well, I must've read it fast. I don't well, know. and I think that's interesting too, because I will, I will say my gut says the first option, which is, which makes it fun. Um, because I also think that's how Chas thought she was experiencing it in Shadowfall as well. And I think that the choice that Freed makes to give her these auditory hallucinations in a way g- kind of flips that out of its head. That she's like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then, oh, my God, wait, did I miss being in a cult? Did I miss having that sense of belonging or whatever it was? Because Chas, again, I think – I mean – Kairos is the most physically evolved character throughout the trilogy, I think it's safe to say. Because of, you know, the chitinous plates, mm. and maybe she's a ghost monster now. Maybe she's a liquid. Who knows? Like, that's <laughs> a lot. But I would I would say I think Chas is the most emotionally evolved uh, from all three books, from how different she is. And in this one, I do think that she is hearing that voice. I don't think she wants to go back. Mm. But, oh, my God, do I think she's confused about what she wants after – knowing it for so long and uh, skipping way ahead uh, to the end of the book, I was so, I know we'll talk about more of this later. I was so happy to see her and Iroka together because I felt like that was a very natural 
peaceful ending. Like, the thing she was trying to deny was connection throughout these three books. And the cult getting in was maybe a, an unhealthy tease of that. And then I'm glad the ending was her getting the healthy dose of that, which is the connection she had tried to deny the most, which was her and Quell. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you bring up, you know, on page 82, I think is kind of the first time where we really see Chas lay out what her internal struggle is. And it really mm -hmm. seemed to revolve around not feeling wanted in whatever group that she was in because Letitia's voice in her head tells her that, you know, she's wanted by the cult, but that the Republic is never truly going to want her. And she actually says they will always mock you, Maya Halleck, which if you remember back is, is what Letitia called Chas. Uh, you may as well come home is what she says. So where does that, struggle come from where does chas's fear of not being accepted stem from Ooh, i mean upbringing right i mean she well, she grew up in a cult where i would assume at least the way she describes it is that acceptance is just natural like you don't question if you because you're in the cult you're accepted period you don't have to question whether you have to prove yourself or do anything like that and then when she left all of that immediately, like, got lost. It all drifted away, and you kind of take it for granted. I think the rest of her life, unknowingly to her, maybe, has been trying to get that back. And um, Aaron Thompson, in our chat, points out a good point. Says, I thought when she got caught being part of that cult, she got a little protective and artificially bought into it so she wouldn't look silly. Which is also interesting, because she mm -hmm. is so much about appearances, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Chess is a very different person with everyone she meets. And I think that this book really showed that she isn't quite sure who she is when she's by herself with her own thoughts. Like you were saying, Wes. Yeah. Like one thing that stood out to me was Freed had, um, he put a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of emphasis into that one scene where when they had, uh, the explosion, I think on, uh, on the star destroyer that was turned into a, Republic Star Destroyer, I Love guess. that, by the way. And, um, Love that they're flying yeah. a freaking Star Destroyer around the whole time. Definitely. And then she's she's uh, crawling through the tunnels. She's trying to get... She's trying to help. She's trying to help out. She's trying to find a like a air vent or an airlock. She's trying to get to, to a point, like a panel or something. Right. But then, then it's like the crisis averted while she's in, the, like, in route to fix something. And... And she doesn't want people to know that she was doing something that was unselfish, I guess. That wasn't uh, that wasn't pointed just at her. And I was like, they put a lot of emphasis on that. And she was trying to, to, to push that, that feeling away that she wasn't trying to help, but she really was. Yeah. I, was, that, that, I thought about that throughout the book. And I was like, that there was that one instance where she was trying to... She wasn't just flying and listening to music and killing and shooting, like... Uh, squadrons down she was actually trying to do something unselfish and she wasn't rewarded for it and i'm sure that kind of hurt um, well not throughout the, the end of the book not only yeah. was she not rewarded for it but if you recall what happened when she kind of found her way out i believe that was when she happened upon the grounds crew uh who had gone through her ship and yeah. had found yeah. all of the recordings right. of the cult, and they were making fun of her and all this stuff so you know that probably reinforced in her 
what I'm not accepted, number one. And number two, yeah. like, why should I be trying to help these people? Because what she was doing would have would have saved the grounds crew, would have, you know, potentially would have saved everyone on the ship. So you know, she she stuck right. her neck out. And that's immediately the response that she got. She was singled out and she was ridiculed. Which is obviously tough for anyone, but also for her, I think she realizes that, you know, if no one depends on me, I can't let anyone down. So that's also a nice yeah. defense mechanism. And then to add on that, the oh my God, the consequences of that moment, like, why in the world would she ever do that again? <laughs> like, if you're not rewarded, exactly. but also doubly ridiculed, and you might also let them down the next time, like, of course she's terrified of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a well, rough go. It is a rough go. And one thing that never came to a whole bunch of, of fruition, but y'all tell me if you remember this. In the first book, I felt like there was a bigger deal made out of uh, Chas's species, which again, she's Thelen, mm. right? Yeah. And, and there aren't many of those that we know uh, in the Star Wars universe. We know uh, Lazarazi is like the big other Thelen, I feel like, that we know of. Mm-hmm. But in the first book, there were comments, you know, about or they seem to sort of imply that her species was looked down upon as a whole. And I didn't feel like we really got more about that as the trilogy went on, but that's kind of also in the background of all of this. Yeah. It, mm. <clears throat> that's a good point. I, I can't even remember them ever mentioning it in this one, which like, it could be, I guess an authorial choice yeah. of deciding maybe the narrative goes a different way, but yeah, interesting. I, I honestly I had forgotten about it completely till you just mentioned it, so I guess that proves your point. Yeah. 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 Well the only Thelans that I kinda remember just seeing on screen were in uh Jabba's Palace, right? Right. Wasn't there a Thelan there? I think yep. there was. Yeah. Yeah. So on page two sixty nine, there's this comment from Chess. It says Deep within her mind, notions like sediment at the bottom of an ocean drifted up from where they'd been lost months before. They whispered in a voice not Letizia's, don't forget, until the last battle is over, there's always your backup plan. And now later on page 393, Chas says to herself, or thinks to herself rather, this was the last battle. She could be Jin Erso today, or she could let the nightmares come true. And Chas felt like she either had to die as a hero in battle or as a loner after the war. And and she struggled with this contemplation of suicide as a possibility for herself through a lot of these novels. And I'm curious, why the ultimatum with her? Why, why do you think she saw this as either I have to be a martyr or I will you know, be so down in the dumps that I just end my own life. Like there's no other future for me other than those two things. Where did that come from? Oh God. This is heavy. This is a heavy book, man. I I definitely can see a similarity in that. Um, but I'll bring, we'll talk about that after we talk some serious. Yeah. It's not, I guess. (laughs) So in the, in the serious, serious part of it, I I think uh, honestly, a lot of it is, I mean, her her idolization of the Rogue One crew. She talks about that from the beginning. They all died as heroes. I think having the people you look up to the most be people who literally died for what they believed in sets a precedent of, like, if I can't live up to that, how am I worthy? How am I worthy? 
What am, what do I do that is worthwhile if I can't be a hero, if I can't be heroic? Um, especially because she's kind of turned her back on being a cult member. She's turned her back on a, a bunch of other things. And, I mean, this goes to the psychology probably of things we learn when we're, when we're young. When you're a kid, your whole life view is kind of sculpted, at least started, and you're given options. Like, I can be a firefighter. I can be a teacher. What Like, you have a set of rules, which is why, you know, we talk about representation being so important because, like, you know, it's still hard for people in certain communities, people of color, people of certain gender identities. They don't see themselves in certain roles, so they never have the idea they can attain certain heights because it's not presented. And maybe in this case, Chas was never presented with other options. You're a cult member or you're a Rogue One pilot that dies or you're worthless. Hmm. And she already left the cult and she left a second cult. So that's not it. And if she doesn't die as Rogue One, that's not it. So, you know, she didn't know. Yeah. Maybe she didn't think past the war. Like, that was it. Like, yeah. once you get to the Great war, point. that, I mean, that's life. That's your life right there. If you if you make it out alive as a hero, I mean, better, more better to you. More better. That's great. Yeah. Um, well, that's what I talk but, about with soldiers of all types, right? Of all yeah. wars, like, huge part of PTSD is thinking you're still there. And, like, you get home. And this, it, mm. Yeah, this is just, this is Lieutenant Dan. This is Lieutenant yes! Dan from yep. Forrest Gump, 100%. He yep. was going to die in the war just like his dad, just like his grandpa, just like his uncle before him. Yeah. And when if he if he didn't die on the battlefield, what good is he? Yeah. So that's the struggle that he had to have in Forrest Gump, which is the struggle that Chas is going to have to have in Alphabet How come you don't got no legs, Chasta Chaddick? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think we'll get around to where Chas ended up which you've already talked about, Eric. We'll come back around to that when we're kind of at the end of this. But I kind of want to leave Chas there for right now because she sure. really pulled a 180 at the end. I mean, yeah. we really saw her do something that I, at least I didn't expect. So we'll talk about that more. I want to talk about her partner now, though. Her partner that we know she had at the end of the novel, Erica Quell, the or- original commander of Alphabet Squadron. Now, remember... When we left Quell at the end of Shadowfall, she had just deserted the New Republic to return to Shadowing. And in this novel, we see that she was planning to be a spy for the New Republic all along, just attempting to stop Shadowing from the inside. Sure, Quell, we never doubted you. And <laughs> I say that jokingly, but in all seriousness, let's think about this. Quell initially joined the Empire to learn how to fly, to learn to be a pilot, but she planned to defect to the Rebellion afterwards. But then she didn't. And instead became a tool for one of the Empire's most dangerous fighter wings. But then someone told her to leave, so she did. And actually did join the New Republic. But then she left to go back to Shadowing. But she was only pretending to go back to Shadowing. And then she went back to the New Republic. And she wasn't pretending that time. Was anyone else dizzy? Just the way she planned it. Yeah. (laughs) Perfectly. Ridiculous. Uh, We're reminded of just how circuitous Quell's journey was by a quote on page 102. And it says... She rode helplessness like a raft on dark water, unsure of where she would land and carried ever forward. And first of all, that needs to be a nominee for the 2021 Utini's Quote of the Year. But second of all, it it does feel like Quell has been adrift through a lot of this trilogy. And it's been hard to understand her motives, 
even when freed, lets us spend time inside her head. Like, how is, how is it possible? Even when you follow her thought process, it's hard to follow. Yeah. Like, in, in the first book, she talks about how she always was going to defect and uh, join the, or just leave the empire. But she just never got around to it. Yeah. How do you never get around to something? That, I mean, I, I can totally understand. It's just like, it's like going to a day job, just going through the motions and going through the motions and finally you're so intertwined and you're so deep within it and you're so dead with with debt and mortgage that you have to stay where you're at. It's <laughs> right. It's like have you ever I mean, I'm not talking about anybody. No, anything. no, no. But it's not nothing personal. It's not like we're talking about a small house project. Like, yeah, everyone is has accidentally put a hole in the wall and you spackle it and you just haven't gotten around to painting it again so it matches the rest of the wall. <laughs> But Whoa, you're not too, me like that, Charles. Yeah. My God, <laughs> you're not too busy to paint the wall because you're committing genocide. Like it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just mind-boggling yeah. to me. Yeah, I, I was really glad that Free didn't let us wallow in the is she good, is she bad thing for too long in this book. I, I was really glad that because I think that could have gotten tiresome and was you know I I think we all assume she's a protagonist of the book. Yeah. You know, I think that's I think that's kind of uh, using the word protagonist. I think is actually really hard with these characters. That's fair. She, she's one of the protagonists. I'll yeah. say. I think it's fair. And like, I always okay. assumed she was going to spy. And I and I did like the idea that he said, "Okay, yep." This whole time from like early chapters, she was already in her monologue wise, you know, telling us as readers that this is what she was doing. I definitely think it was it was in a roundabout way. Throughout the whole book, don't get me wrong. Like, oh my goodness, this trilogy. She went back and forth. But I think that really makes her a fascinating character that I think is the short end of the stick in a lot of Alphabet Squadron conversations. Like, hmm. not a lot of people have Erica as their favorite. You know, because she is... It's kind of like in a, in a really big comedy. She's the straight man. She is the person in the middle where all the cool, interesting people have to, like, circle around and they get to do the fun stuff. Like we have the really fun flyer, and then the pirate guy, and then the crazy cult lady, and then like the cocoon woman, and then it's like, actually, without Erica, it doesn't really, it doesn't really work. And I really like that we had someone that can be a New Republic hero, that was also like, honestly, I'm real confused. This conflict is really hard. You know, I. Yeah. I don't want to kill my friends, but I don't want to kill my old friends. Like it seemed really tough. Yeah, that that was the huge conflict that that I saw as well. Because she did, she befriended these people from um, from the the New Republic. Yeah, and she also had these relationships with um, people that she, with from the Empire that she got to know as friends. So mm. I mean, and then going back and rekindling those friendships in the third book, like yep. I bet that that had to hurt. Um, and it had to wane on her head like the entire through the rest of the, um, the fight and even trying to sabotage the, the the star destroy or the the transport they were on. It's like, am I am I going to hurt these people yeah. that I've come to, I've come to respect not just as friends but as colleagues as well. Yeah. Well, let's talk about how Quell kind of managed to do what she did in this book. How she managed to really ultimately work for the new republic and bring about the end of the empire and i love that but andrew bell told me to interrupt you oh, so i did that ahead. andrew go ahead you see me i got this shirt 
Charlie's mom got it for me at Droid Depot at Galaxy's Edge. Uh, I was going to say, show me that damn shirt because I was going to ask you about it. Yep. That thing it is, is nice. rad. It's dude. literally. That is a good looking shirt. At, on the ground at Disney World, her mom is a pass holder, went, bought it at Droid Depot, and shipped it to us. So Beautiful. Charles, it I'm sorry nice. for the interruption. It's Andrew okay. said I had to do it. <laughs> we got to listen to him. to the chat. <laughs> so on page 57, Quell says this. In Cerberon, she'd come to understand that there was nothing for her in the New Republic, that regardless of whether her squadron forgave her, they likely wouldn't, she would be tried and punished for her crimes. Her life would end, perhaps deservedly so, but submitting to her guilt served no one when there was work yet to do. Karen Aiden had advised her to move forward past her guilt and do what good she could for the galaxy. That remained her task. And then on page 232, we get this quote, Quell made sure to show no reaction. Though the old guilt and self-loathing beaded on her like sweat. She remembered the eye of the tower on the red planetoid and the despair she'd felt at the knowledge that nothing would ever make her actions right. But she'd moved past it. She would never forgive herself, but she would move forward. So a couple of times there we get that terminology, move forward. Those two words, move forward. And these were some of Aiden's final words to Quell before he died. And they really became her rally cry in this novel, didn't they? They really did. And Cad Ben and Andrew both make good points in the chat right now. Um, Cad Ben actually says Erica was his favorite uh, with Kairos, which is really great. It says, I thought it so compelling to have a hero with such fluid morals. Usually they're so strongly committed to a side or path. Also why uh, he loves Afra. And yeah. I think that's a great point because a lot of times they say, you know, heroes and villains really represent the times in which they are written. Right, like you can look back in, in time, like when zombie movies get really big, when alien invasions get really big, are all related to the times in which they're written. What's going on in the world? What is the populace concerned with? Right, and Alphabet Squadron is so interesting with with Erica because of what you're saying, Charles. So specifically, I find because we're living at a time right now where I think a lot of people are dealing with different kinds of trauma, and it's finally being able to be talked about in the public space because I think a lot of big events have happened to a lot of people lately that maybe weren't talked about in years past. Maybe were kind of thought about in different ways. And now a lot of people are realizing that they have to live with trauma and every day do have to find ways to move forward to say, maybe I can't get over this thing today, or maybe I can't forgive myself for this thing I did when I was younger, but I do have to move forward. And maybe that means I'm not the, you know, legends era Luke Skywalker who does, who is just perfect and angelic and has every power and I can do anything I want. Maybe I'm an Erica who stumbles and who falls in with the wrong people now and then, but has to just put one step in front of the other, which is why I think that Shadowfall chapter was so hard for all of us and so important because she literally just went step, step, step. And in this novel, she's like, if I can get one person to trust me, I can move forward. I can get a second person to trust me. I can move forward. I think made her really a, a hero for the times, if you will. Mm -hmm. That's what I got. I really like that. Actually, I like that a lot. What's, what do you think about her just willing herself forward, you know, regardless of all these things that she's experienced? It's, I mean, that's hard to, that's hard to kind of define. Um, willing yourself forward like 
is she, is she is she just supposed to turn herself into the empire and say, "Hey, actually, guys, I was with the New Republic and I was shooting down some of our fellow comrades here." Or oops, a daisy. Or she's yeah. Or was <laughs> she just trying? She need to um, try to try to to leave the empire like immediately and try to escape. And but I think her trying to move forward is trying to take strategic steps as to not get herself killed and to not yeah um, ultimately um not ultimately tell everybody where the, the new republic was especially with those transmissions she was sending out that was yeah. uh, something special oh my gosh that was that, is it <laughs> who is it is uh is it Will? Who's in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies that puts the bodies in the barrels and throws them over the side of the ship? You know what I'm talking about? Is that in the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie? Uh, I remember it vaguely. No. Yeah. Uh-uh. Anyway, Pirates of the Caribbean, also on Disney Plus, where there's <laughs> Star Wars. See, it all, it all comes back. No, I, I like what you're saying, though, Wes, where she was having to make all these decisions and having to navigate everything that she'd done in the past. I mean, she, she really had spun herself a web of lies. And the fact that yeah. she managed to navigate through that really successfully, ultimately, I mean, yeah. it's pretty amazing. Whether or not you agree with, you know, all the things that she did to spin to spin that web, I mean, it's impressive what she accomplished in the end. So, and did she have that? Did she have that plan going into it, or is this I don't just think so. put together? Yeah, put together <laughs> step was, by step. She was floating she was, on the raft of hopelessness. Remember. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, that's right. Yeah. I Flo- thought that's a quote you made up, too, just like you did with the Kairos quotes. Man, Floating on the Raft of Hopelessness is definitely an album that's, that I listened to when I was 16. That's why Corey's <laughs> not sure. here tonight. <laughs> He's floating that's on the it. Raft yeah. of Hopelessness. <laughs> also known as uh, Night Shift Pediatrics. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, on page 189, Keys is thinking about Quell, and he says, it wasn't time for... Uh, uh, Chidawa's destruction that he craved most. The planet's fate, unfortunate as it might be for locals, was insignificant in the grand scope of his re- of his concerns. Rather, he needed time for Quell to return with the secrets of the Emperor's messenger. Time for Quell to realize that it wasn't loyalty to the New Republic or loyalty to the Empire that she had to choose from, but loyalty to principle, to her truest self. And you know, I think that Quell seems to answer the question that I think that puts forth of who is Quell's truest self on page 302. And it's when she had her imagined therapy session with ITO. Y'all remember this scene? Um, mm-hmm. Remember, ITO's gone. And all she wants yeah. is to have ITO back to talk to about, you know, all of her problems, think through everything that's happened to her to come to a solution because ITO always, always helped her to do that. Since he's gone, she went through this fake therapy session in her own head imagining what ITO would say to her and ITO ends up saying what I think was the most important quote when you accepted that you are worthy of existence worthy of moving forward as you decided you would you could no longer deny your former comrades the same worth and dignity and on the following page ITO asks quote what is it that you want and she says I want to save lives and ITO says, then start there and concern yourself with the next question once it comes. So who is who is Quell's truest self? What are her priorities? What are her principles that Keyes says that she has to choose between? 
I think she wants... I think that sentence is the actual thing. She wants to save lives, and her struggle is that whoever's asking for her blind loyalty requires that she takes lives from someone else. And I think wow. that seems like... Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't that the struggle with... What I assume, I have, I have no experience this of my own, but isn't that every like military or similar career struggle? Like, you want to help, but these things that are required from time to time are so hard that there's got to be a way not to do it. Um, Andrew also makes a great point in the chat here who actually loved this scene. And he said, isn't that the purpose of therapy to be able to eventually self therapize? And I think that's really interesting because who would have thought our star Wars hero is a person that just wishes they could talk to their therapist. And what a, (laughs) what a statement for that to make, you know, and it doesn't diminish her strength. It just shows that, you know, how much that connection can help. And I think that her nature is to be helpful. I think her nature is, you know, to be someone that could just be flying a ship around and didn't have to worry about if it was killing anyone, you know? And I think that who we see at the end of the book is very much who she is and who she wants to be and who she eventually gets to become. Mm-hmm. But I don't think she could have become that without the help of ITO, without those therapy sessions, without those decompressions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think of her almost as a very effective tool that could be wielded by a lot of different forces early on, you know, in yeah. this trilogy. And she came to understand her own effect and came to, you know, control herself, essentially. And, and that made her actually quite powerful by the end of this book. Yeah. It's like we had that uh that shirt that got taken down very quickly. Our our Padme shirt that lived for an hour, where the queen saves herself, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I think that's one of the amazing things about a lot of Star Wars women is that there are all these forces that, again, inspired by a lot of real world events and powers that would want to control them or use them. And it's the realization of I control my destiny. I control my my steps forward, my steps back, my steps to the side. No matter what that is. And that self-realization kind of opens up this whole other layer of power that can be wielded in any way you see fit. In Quell's case, to be the, I don't know, the strongest force for good as she defines it, not as anyone else defines for her. Right. Well, even though Quell seems to evolve into the best version of herself that we've ever seen in this novel, it's hard to get past how incredibly dark her past is. And on this is true. <laughs> page 437, Harris says this, I like Quell. I believe she's changed, but her victims can't speak up because their civilization died with their planet, and I can't ignore that. And then on page 440, Hera tells Quell that not only is she being set free, this is you know much later after the New Republic decides to free Quell from her imprisonment, uh, but that she's also going to get a medal. That's right. She's going to get a medal for everything she's done. And Quell does not really respond well to that. She says, no consequences at all. That's what it ends in. And then Harris says, you face your share of consequences. To which Quell responds, I certainly don't deserve a medal. You know that. And Hera responds, what you deserve is a question for philosophers. If you're looking for unfailing judgment from a one-year-old government, you're going to the wrong place. 
which is also up for the 2021 Utini quote of the year. It's pretty good. Um, yeah, also, I thought I'd point out in our, in our Slack channels, Andrew just tagged you in the Utini's nomination form. He, must, he wants you to put some of nice. these in there. Yes, I will. I'm happy to. <laughs> um, but, you know, those quotes, I think, despite how, how incredibly dark Quell's past is, with mm-hmm. everything that she accomplished by the end of this trilogy... Yes or no, do you think Quell was redeemed? And, and keep in mind, we're going to talk about what redemption is and all that stuff in overarching questions. I just want to know, based on your definition, do, do you think she was redeemed by the end of this trilogy? Yes. Yes. Okay. I would, you, Charles? I would agree. Yeah, I would say yes. And, right. um, and I'm kind of... Su- Screw you, Corey. You don't get a yeah. vote. 100%. <laughs> The living force unanimously agrees. Corey would <laughs> totally have said redeemed. no. He would have said. He totally no. would have said no. <laughs> All right. But on that quote for, on four thirty-seven, that said, "But her victims can't speak up because their civilization died with their planet." Yeah, that's Hera looking at the big picture as a general, yeah, and not as right. uh, just a soldier as a as a person on the ship. Yeah, it's like it's it's what you did. Um, I, that's great that you've changed and. You turned over a new leaf, and you come to the Republic, and you want to help. But remember all those lives that you that you uh, those people that you killed on that planet you, that you helped out, that you helped with Operation Center. Do you not remember that? Kind of. So that's probably where Hera's coming from. But it looks like she, uh, I guess, in redemption terms, she comes to see that Quell is redeemed, and three pages later. Not very long. <laughs> and I, you know what? I gotta say, there's a lot of things that I can argue about in Star Wars. I trust Harrison Dula. Absolutely. Whatever okay. she Absolutely. says, I have learned you will yeah. trust her. Oh, Captain, my Captain. <laughs> oh yes. Oh, that's a shirt. Well, or maybe a button. <laughs> Let's talk about another Captain, if you will, Soren Keys. It's time to talk about Keys, y'all. I, I have been itching to talk about this character Let's for a while. <laughs> Let's do it. This is probably how we're going to round out this part of the of the roundtable so we can spend some time here. But, you know, we've seen Keys go through a lot of growth as well throughout this trilogy. We saw him leave his squadron the same way Quell did. Uh, we saw him attempt to start a new life under the alias of Devin, only to be pulled right back in and to rise all the way back to commander of the 204th and really just just go for that role. Like hardcore, just oh, right yeah. back into oh, it. Oh, yeah. So let's clarify one thing straight away. What was Keyes' goal? And the reason that I bring this up is there's some conflicting statements, I feel like, that he makes in this book. So I'm interested to hear what mm-hmm. you think about this. On page 23, according to Keyes, the 204th mission is this to purge every world tainted by Imperials who dared to escape the Emperor's shadow. And and that makes him sound very loyal to the Emperor, very loyal to the Empire itself, right? Right. Later on page 55, mm-hmm. Key states, let the Empire fall, but not its soldiers. And so here he doesn't at all sound loyal to the Emperor, but, but rather to his troops. What What are your thoughts on that? What were your thoughts overall on what Keyes was trying to accomplish? That's that's kind of where where I fall was with the uh, the second quote where he says, "Let the empire fall, but not its soldiers." Um, I feel that he is, and this was laid out in the book. Um, he knows that if he stays with the empire, 
They're constantly going to be fighting against the New Republic. It's going to be a constant fight. They're always going to be, they're always going to be searched for. They're always going to be hunted down, um, like basically hunted down like cattle um, until the last remnants of the Empire are gone. Or he, he can help save his crew. He can help kind of, um, I guess, push them off to get them new lives. But um, that ultimately, in the I'm, what I see as the climax of this book, um, when he goes to Coruscant and tries to destroy those records, um, he's trying to save the lives of the Imperials that are trying to have a life after after they've served or done their duty um, with the Empire. So I feel like he's trying to provide, yeah, provide a life for the troops that either I don't know had didn't have a didn't have like a choice in the matter of joining the empire um, because of um, how they were brought up or it, I mean, pretty much they, they joined the empire to begin with, I think for power. But uh, once the operation Cinder hit, I think they all, just, they all, not all of them, but most of them saw that that was kind of a, they were in the, a bad deal to begin with. Mm. Yeah. Um, but um, I think they were definitely, he's definitely trying to save the soldiers and save them from being scorned by the not even scorned by the republic by being hunted down by the republic for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I think Andrew uh, in our chat makes a great point. He says, "I think the first quote you said, Charles, was to get the soldiers to buy in, and the second one shows his true motivation." And I think that's also where I land, uh, similar to what you were saying, mm-hmm. Wes. I think he's he is that definitely my people above everyone. Like I know why they did what they did. They signed up like I did. I left because I thought it was morally reprehensible, and I thought that more would follow me. They didn't. Okay, that's fine. I'll come back. I will do what we set out to do. And then I think he's also smart enough that within this book itself, he realizes it's not working. Yeah. He's like, this whole second cinder, all these things, this is not going to happen. So all I can do is save my people. Is it? And I think, oh, Aaron makes a yeah. great point as well. Says Keys is a great example of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our point of view. Keys is absolutely that. He flows. He adjusts as he needs to. And at the end of the day, yeah. all he cares about is the people that were loyal to him, he will then return in kind. Mm-hmm. So I think, honestly, his final mission in that climax you talked about, Wes, which I agree, that whole thing with Coruscant is the climax of the book, and is frankly where this book took off for me. Is It's one of the most exciting third acts in any Star Wars novel, period, I'll say. Um, that was great. I think is where we see who he is. He is like, I got you into this mess. I will get you out. I don't care what happens to me. I will save every single person because they don't deserve to be punished for choices that I made for them. And I think that... Ah, hmm. It's weird because he did also... He definitely did some genocide, some light genocide, a little bit, a little bit. Like we can't ignore that. We cannot ignore that. But I also can't fault him for being like a a very protective leader. He is an honorable leader. I think at the end of the day, that also definitely dabbles in genocide. Well, well, so it's not. It's not funny. It's it's rough. It's rough. (laughs) On that point. One passage in particular, I think, really brings things into perspective. And it's actually the full passage from page 55 
you know, part of the quote that I just read a second ago. And it's when Keyes and Quell are having a conversation about what the Empire may have looked like if they had immediately reassembled after Endor in a unified front. You know, how even without the Death Star and the Empire, or, or the Emperor rather, they think that the Empire could have endured and likely controlled some portion of space. But they also realize that the surviving Empire would have represented the worst of what the Empire had to offer. And that the alternative, which was outright losing the war, would mean every Imperial would be punished in the harshest manner possible. And so Keyes, you know, basically says, like, that's why I'm fighting. That's why we have to win, because that is an unacceptable alternative. And so Quell asks Keyes, do they know that, that win or lose, we're all doomed? And Keyes says, no. Some, perhaps. For others, I think it would make no difference, except to crush what spirit remains. I will do everything I can to save them. Let the Empire fall, but, but not its soldiers. I will save them. So Keyes' loyalty is to his troops, ultimately, just like y'all are saying. And I have to ask then, despite the terrible things that he has to do to accomplish that goal, such as reenacting Operation Cinder, is his mission admirable at the end of the day? Do you find his actual intent admirable? Um, I'm going to tie this into Andrew's other question in the chat. He says, can honor and evil coexist? Keys puts that in, and I think as a thought experiment, I think I could make that work. I think I could say yes, but for the purposes of earnest human emotion, for what Star Wars actually means, like if we're taking away the hypotheticals, if we're putting away into like the stories, I don't think so. Mm. I think that you lose... Any kind of moral high ground. Don't try when, Yeah, exactly. Have the moral high ground. <laughs> like when the <laughs> deaths of so many innocent people are the cost for your mission, whatever it may be. For like, it's you being like, I will, what I am doing fits my code. Jose makes a good point in the chat says, you know, he says, yes, his evil can live within a code. I think there can be a code, but if your code says, in my personal opinion, that these millions of people will then die in horror yeah. um, in order for me to save my friends and not get, have them suffer other consequences, for me, I don't think, I think that's when honor leaves. I think that the purest definition of honor is this is doing whatever you have to to spare the life or well-being of innocence, I think is pretty naturally honorable and i think keys starts there but he gives a little more and he gives a little more and he gives a little more and at a certain point his honorable beginning like oh yes aaron like barris offie's bombing of the jedi temple is it maybe an honorable point maybe an honorable idea but the means you use to execute them then diminish that completely because you have caused so much pain and suffering. It's the epitome of the path to hell is paved with good intentions, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That is Soren Keyes' path. Yes. Right. And he, well, so he feels that if he kills a couple thousand people, then he'll save millions, (laughs) right? Possibly billions. And that's not even a sure thing. No. Right? And that's not even a sure thing. If he wipes away those records that the Imperials will be 
will be exonerated. Yeah. Nobody will ever find them again. I mean, well, which um, also could so, go the opposite way. He could also be killing millions to save thousands. You know, like yeah. it. The, yeah, yeah. the numbers could yeah. could really flow either way. Also, we're talking about like the idea of morality and how many deaths there were. Things. So I'm going to have a third glass of wine. I'm giving myself permission. Because <laughs> <laughs> my God, guys, this is a heavy book. This was a three this glass. Is, this was a three glass of wine a book. Three glass book. <laughs> so if he doesn't destroy those records, then millions die. But those thousand people that were around Coruscant live. Yeah. Damn it, Eric. Or do they die? Or is there <sighs> mercy? So is much, it also assuming the worst, which also might be chill? Like, there's so many. So much death. I don't know. There's so many. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Well, so on page 29, I have to ask you all this then. Page 29, Keyes says this. I don't doubt there are Imperial soldiers who have done appalling things, but what are the odds that the rebels can judge the fates of their enemies fairly? And that question, that that quote, it was the second half that was supposed to hit us. But for me, it was the first half that hit me. And he's like, I don't doubt there are Imperial soldiers who have done appalling things. So, so... He says that as if the 204th and he himself are removed from that statement, as if they aren't destroying entire worlds. Yeah. As if he did yeah. not say on page yeah. 27, genocide was an onerous task without a death star to quicken it. So obviously. Or as, uh, as Idris Elba says yeah. in the Oscar winning film, or should be an Oscar winning film, uh, Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw, oh genocide, schmenocide. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Correct. Of course, of course, it's not an Oscar winning when it's Hobbs and Shaw. That movie's amazing. Maybe if it was only Hobbs and Shaw, then yes. Yeah. All right, but obviously Keys thinks that his <laughs> yeah. mission itself is a just one. But yeah. do you think he also sees that how he's accomplishing it? Like, does he does he find that justifiable? Because based on that <sighs> comment in and of itself, he doesn't seem to be viewing himself as one of the bad apples. I mean, oh, well, I'm so glad you said that that way, too, because this is also part of the larger conversation we're having in the world right now, which is like, mm. I mean, how much can you trust the courts? You know, I mean, we're literally living through a time right now when a lot of especially our country, um, I know we have a lot of international listeners. Hi, guys. We love you all. Um, the U.S. is going through a time right now where how much can you trust authority how like how much can you trust that justice will be served appropriately and that is being questioned a lot and that is being proven that that isn't always the case and to have now a star wars novel that's tackling that question is fascinating like we deal with the it's only a few bad apples question quite a lot on a weekly basis in the united states and i think this the way keys reacts is very interesting to be like how can i trust that a court system will look at the people that I know are honorable that have maybe made a couple mistakes here and there in a fair fashion. And it's like, I don't know, man. We oh, This was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And nowadays we're still having trouble with it. So I think that is one of the fundamental questions of life in a society with an organized government, with a government that you want to be able to trust, of course. And um, like Harris said earlier, you said, Charles, that quote about it being a one-year-old government is also very present, pressing. Like, mm-hmm. this is new. Yeah. The New Republic doesn't know what it is yet. Does it want to be something that has a zero-tolerance policy with Imperials? Or 
doesn't want to have a all-forgiveness policy that also maybe allows the Imperial Remnant to rise up because they're not a strong enforcement. Like, right. I get Keith's hesitation. Wow. And yet, you can't go kill people. It's it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Star Wars, man. I know. Well, despite the terrible things that Keys does, we also see that he's not outrightly malicious in some scenarios. Like on page sure. 221, sure. after shooting down Will's A-Wing, Keys actually says to no one in particular, he kind of whispers this to himself in his cockpit. He says, if you live, Will Lark, I hope you find the peace you dreamed of. You know, so so here we see him actually, after having just maybe killed yet another person, he doesn't even wish them harm. You know, it, it, and so I think it does speak towards his heart a little bit. I mean, it's very conflicting, yeah. right? Because he shows compassion towards one that he's killed when on the grand scale he's killing millions but what did that moment mean to you what what kind of insight did that give you into his character Ooh, i mean there's no doubt in my mind that in a different time different place soren keys has a beer with every single one of these pilots like there's no way he's not a great rebellion general and i <laughs> think this moment hit that you know i think he is a person that made a choice to join a side at one point and is now going to stick with that but within him is definitely the potential to be that force for the rebellion or the new republic to for the for the quote-unquote good guys which i think makes it all the more tragic that he chose the imperials Mm -hmm. you know i think that um just in that in that uh that sequence alone when he's fighting or he's doing that one-on-one with, uh, with Will, um, he respected Will where he had to, Will's flying this junked up, put together a wing and he's, he's going toe to toe with keys and he's, and he, he, um, he has a couple of faults in the a wing and he, and he's trying to keep it together. But, um, in the end he gets shot down. But, um, with that quote saying, if you live, Will Lark, I hope you find the peace you dreamed of. He's like, man, if you're alive down there, more power to you because I really put a hurting on you. And I respect your, I respect the way you fly, man. You, yeah. you really impressed me. Yeah. yeah. And uh, real quick, a, sl- a slight tangent here because I keep forgetting to say these during the show. If all these quotes, if all these pages are hitting you in a different way as you're listening to us talk about them, I hope they are. I hope we're bringing more insight. Maybe you had the ebook of this and you want the physical copy, or maybe you want, you have a friend that you know would love this, but you don't want to lend your copy out because you're not getting that back. We've all been there. Uh, Wes gloriously put a link to victory's price in our show notes for this very episode in the YouTube description. So just a quick plug as we're getting near the end of Soren's part in the end of this episode, uh, make sure to check out that description every show because there are links where you can get more copies of this book that beautiful book Wes is showing right now. There's collections with all these different pilots. There's links to other reviews. So if this stuff is hitting you in a new way and you maybe want to get another copy or you want to check out maybe our video or written review you didn't check out the first time, those links are in the description. Click through to those. It helps us out a little bit. and maybe gives you yet another way to look at these pilots. So just a quick little mini ad for ourselves there that I forgot to do earlier. Yeah. Or maybe you've never read this book and you're just chilling here in part two of the round table. <laughs> you're a total chestnut like, but welcome. Wow, you're doing um, good. <laughs> yeah. So on page 24, then, Keyes 
says this, the task he'd been given by Admiral Sloan was not the task Soren would have chosen, yet it sufficed. He needed the true empire to keep his people alive, at least until it doomed them all. So my question here is, what is the true empire? Is it those that are loyal to the emperor? Is it those that are loyal to the ideals of the empire? Is it the 204th? Are those who are loyal to Keys? Like, what is the true empire? In Keys' eyes? Yeah. I think it's just those that are loyal to each other. I think that in his mind, his empire... It's just his boys. It's his people. You Your know, empire. Sorry. You yeah. Keep saying things. Oh. <laughs> Dang, that was good. You're so good at that. That was amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think his empire is just his people. It begins and ends with those that he can be side by side with, and that's it. Yeah. It's almost. It's almost like a. It's a third person in the battle. Yeah. There's the empire. There's the new republic, and then there's just. Dudes. Yep. Just dudes. <laughs> just people, you know? Absolutely. They're just dudes. Yes. I, I Dudes and dudes. I want to see that. I want to see the galactic civil war between the Empire, the New Republic, and the dudes. And the dudes. <laughs> it's all big Lebowski's just running out and be like, yeah, that's just, just like your fighter, man. The dude. <laughs> so I think y'all have already talked about this a little bit, but on page 361, Quell says... She realized instinctively why the New Republic had left Coruscant to the Empire all these months. A single stray bomb or turbo laser blast might kill millions. Would Keys kill so many? She wanted to deny it, yet it would be a rounding error in the tally they'd murdered together. So, so is it would there, be a rounding error. Uh, that, that's why it's so good, man. Oh, yeah. Who thinks about that? Error. That's incredible. For millions. Those are lives in that rounding exactly. error. Rounding <laughs> error. Exactly. Jeez, so is geez. is there any limit to finding Keys' mission admirable? I'm I'm curious because at, at face value, you know, he's attempting to save the lives of those he's in charge of. But he's fine with killing millions on Coruscant to save at most hundreds of his own people, uh, you know, thousands maybe of Imperials, maybe maybe tens, yeah. hundreds of thousands maybe. Um is that still admirable? And would it be admirable if he was trading a life for a life? I mean, when the, when you move these numbers around in these tally marks, is there any point where you can find what Keys is doing pal- palatable? It's. I think it all it all has to do with your point of view of how of what your ideals are. Yeah. Right. Like what what's what's right in your heart? If you're if being an imperial and trying to live life uh, free and clear of the new Republic is the right way to go. Then kill a bunch millions of people that don't believe in ha- what you believe in is fine with you. Um, yeah. I mean, but that's kind of where diplomacy, you know, comes in. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Where no killing on either side. Just try to, to find peace with diplomacy. I think he's when you- uh, uh, prefers aggressive negotiations. Yo, I oh, yeah. So I well. think that's, <laughs> that's negotiations. With a with a fighter pilot, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, you also get those stories where oh, it's worth a squad of six heroes just to save one innocent life, and that's the hero story. So yeah. I think that for I, and maybe also maybe I'm just exposing myself. Like my personal sense of honor, I think goes in the opposite direction of the math equation. I think when it's more heroes willing to risk themselves for less innocence, 
I think that's where true admiration and honor comes. I think that obviously you want to save as many people as you can, but the willing sacrifice of a lot of innocence for, again, in, in this case, I want to keep reminding myself that like keys is also saving them from the probability that they won't get judged fairly. Right. Like, it's so right. it's it is definite death for a hypothetical punishment. Right. And it's like I think that's where he loses it is that it's yeah. life and death for these innocent people and it's prison time or something else possibly for the for the friends. And yeah. Wes, you hit it on the head though. I mean there depending on what your personal view is, you might read this book totally different, which I think is the cool part about this series is Freed writes it so specifically and so technically and yet, you can absolutely find whatever you need to within it to support the point of view you believe in. And that's well, what's crazy to, to me, me is I obviously think Keyes was wrong in what he was doing. And I think Quell ended up choosing the right thing. Yet, I kind of don't like Quell as a character. And I kind of love Keyes as a character. Isn't that weird? Like, uh, it, yep. it made, I mean, it, that's, you know, I kind of feel the same yeah. way. I liked Keys as a character. Yeah. I really did. Yeah. Villains yeah. are fun to hang on to when they're interesting. I mean, we we are is so he, spoiled now. Is he a villain? That's a that great we question. are. You know, we are past. That's a good question. But we are past the good. Uh, is a villain just pure evil thing for the most part? Right. Most of our villains now are interesting, and they have layers. Um. I think if they don't have layers, they are boring. It's frankly. so hard not to you know? quote Shrek right now, but go on. Yeah, they're they're <laughs> they are onions, Charles. All our villains are onions. What about a parfait? Um, okay, sorry. Good. Ooh, and and I think that you know this is this is a series about people finding who they are. Keys never questioned himself. He knew exactly what he was about. Yeah. Quell was a little more malleable, and it, and that I think that gives Keys an air of steadiness and a little more of an air of you know. He has a solid foundation, which is maybe more interesting to read about sometimes than someone who's not entirely sure. Um, mm. Which, by the end, when they both kind of meet on that even keel in his last moments, is is such a cool moment. Because I think he sees her as the solid foundation that he always wanted her to be. Yeah. And unfortunately, it just happens to be on the wrong side for him. Yeah. Right. Well, It's real good. On, it's real good. On page 384... <laughs> Keyes says this quote, if a record of the empire's sins exists, it will breed violence for decades. So, you know, here Keyes makes it sound as if what he's doing is going to likely save lives in the long run. And y'all have brought this point up, right? One mass casualty event now on Coruscant and maybe decades of atrocities are going to be avoided. But on the other hand, by destroying the databank and saving his own troops, he's also sort of damning all the Imperials who weren't necessarily evil, but rather were cogs in the machine. Because think about people like Jude Edivan from Lost Stars. She was an Imperial scientist, yet I would argue there was not really an evil bone in her body. And if the databank is gone, there's no way to differentiate between Imperials like her and those who committed terrible atrocities. They would all be judged the same, right? It's a great point. That's a great point. I hadn't thought about that. It is a good point. Yeah, me neither. I, the details Dang. within those within that data, whether they were just you know paper pushers and and pencil, and what, what were they? Oh God, what the um, 
what was the word they had in there from the the last book we read? Oh God, they, they were uh, not desk jockeys, but they were. <laughs> I don't. Anyways, dude, way read so many books for this show, which I I greatly enjoy, but my gosh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I I mean, but yeah, any excuse to bring up Lost Stars. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, but so, that's a great point. I mean, there there are. How can you, basically he's he's going on the version of trust me bro as law of the land and yeah. I'm not sure if that's really gonna fly in a courtroom as much as solid evidence would. Yeah, yeah, won't. I think though that shows it it really is just about Keys' own people. It's not about the empire. Yeah. It's not about any yeah. of that. It's about helping his own people. But yep, on page four nineteen, Quell says to Keys, you know, now this is getting towards the end of the book when they're having their final skirmish, and she says. We were murderous bastards, and being true to one another doesn't make it any better. It just means we don't stop when we figure out how bad it's gotten. To which Keyes says, maybe. Or maybe I truly believe in putting my people first. Maybe you finally found something to believe in, too. So, I mean, that that really just hit me pretty hard. Um, You know... What Quell said in particular, being true to one another doesn't make it any better. It just means we don't stop when we figure out how bad it's gotten. You know, so you can't hide behind this virtue of of being true to your people, you know, of wanting to put your people first. You, You can't hide behind that when you take what you're doing in the name of that loyalty, you know, at face value. I mean... You want to talk about things that are also present, prescient. I keep saying pressing and prescient um, in the modern day, and that's loyalty. I mean, how many times do we find out things about people and they're like, how did this not get brought up? How does it not get exposed? And it's like, well, my friends were loyal. And it's like, you know, what are those bounds? How far does the <laughs> loyalty to a friend go when the suffering of others comes into play? I mean, that's also an eternal question. It's tough, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Um it, but you know, Jeez. if I had to pick one moment, I think in this entire book, which is hard to do, but one moment that stopped me in my tracks, it was on page 420. And during Nice. Yeah, nice. And that's t- and that's tomorrow. <laughs> um <laughs> good good one. During his We got one. <laughs> <laughs> During his struggle against Quell to carry out his final mission, Keyes absentmindedly says over the comm, and I don't, I don't remember exactly how to pronounce this word, but he says, I wish there was time for Majura. M-I-J-U-R-A. However you pronounce it. Maybe it's oh, Mahura. Right. I don't know. Um, but it, it, like Majura. It confuses Quell because she doesn't know what he's talking about, but what he's referring to is, is a beverage called Majura that he shared with his Digrig crew on Vernid back when he was traveling around under the alias of Devon and Alphabet Squadron. So think about this. On the brink of potentially killing millions of people in service to his friends, despite how desperately he believes in what he's doing, it seems he doesn't want to have to be doing it. He's longing for a simpler time. And I think that one statement gave us a glimpse into the heart of the man that nothing else ever did. He wishes he was just Devin again. He wishes he was back with his friends, not in the middle of a war, just having a drink. Yeah, man. I think he loved being Devin. You know, you can you can yeah. tell like he his whole plot with the with a young kid that wants to be an extremist, like talking him down, 
like doing all that stuff and also just being a worker and hanging out and the regret that comes when he has to be soaring keys again at the end of the first book is it's such a cool epilogue right because you get that moment but that moment god that's a great i didn't obviously i didn't connect those but i love that because it does it doesn't erase how bad the stuff he's doing is but it does absolutely confirm like you're saying the fact that sometimes people that are doing horrible things just know that they want to be sipping drinks with their buddies that at the core they're the same as anyone else they just got caught up in this horrible thing or at the core he is a villain and villains just like to put their feet up every once in a while and clink drinks with their friends too also true i mean who doesn't like to clink (laughs) drinks i mean there's it is it is interesting because they always you know there's there's the sayings about when you're about to die, like, what do you what do you miss most? And everyone says, oh, it's time. I wish I had more time with my family or what it is. And that, you know, not performing. He's not performing for anyone. It's just him and Quell. He's not giving a speech. The most vulnerable he is is just simpler time. The, the most celebrated commander in the 204th. And he's killed so many and done so many offensives. And he's not he's not dreaming of glory. He's dreaming of being invisible. And, like, mm. there's some tragedy in that, that he died yeah. visible as a commander to someone that knew him the most. He didn't die quietly amongst friends sipping a drink. Wow, that's really good. Exactly. It's sad, man. It is. It is sad. And to round this out, you know, us talking about... Still keys, evil. Still bad things. Still an evil person. <laughs> still genocide. <laughs> but sad. So to round this out, I want to talk about Keyes' final act on page 422. And it's that he releases a broadcast that basically enumerates all of Shadow Wing's war crimes. And he takes personal responsibility for all of them. And he's attempting to absolve his soldiers of their sins, basically. And Quell sees this broadcast and she thinks even in death, Keyes sought to protect his people. So final thoughts on keys is he a good soldier is he a good leader and is he a good person i would say yes he is a good leader um man i it, i struggle with him being a good person um because he has that he has that conflict with the with the climax of the book of whether he should kill kill to save lives um, that's, that's kind of where I get, get put on the fence, whether he's a good person or not. Cause you can, I mean, the, the, the instances of where he is a good person come to light a lot in this book, as in he's trying to, he's trying to save his troops. He's trying to save people. He's trying to give people a better life after, um, this war ends. But, um, just the things that he's done that he's gone along with throughout the years kind of you can't really get past that part because I think in this instance, much like chess, he saw himself as either when he went back as soaring keys and not as Devin, he was either dying to save his soldiers or he was, he wasn't getting out. Well, I guess he just wasn't getting allowed out alive period. He was going in. Uh, he's going in to die. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, yeah, <laughs> Um, 
<laughs> Jeez, Andrew in the chat. There's no such thing as a good person. That also might. <laughs> I mean, yeah. also yeah. there may be that. I mean, no one is 100 percent good except for Loden Great Storm. Um, <laughs> listen to our light of the chat. <laughs> um, but I think that I would agree. I think Loden or uh, Loden. I think that Keys is a good leader, unequivocally. I don't think he's a good soldier because I think he wants to be in charge too much. I think he he has trouble following orders that aren't his, as we hmm. see it a couple times. Yeah. But for a good person, I think that he is good. Again, hell is paved with good intentions. That's that's what he is. He has good intentions. And I think he wants to be good. But I think he's willing to sacrifice just a bit. Not even just a bit. A, he's willing to sacrifice way too much in pursuit of selfish gains. Because he, even though it's his people, it's other people, it's still his squad. People he knows. It's still a little selfish, and he's willing to just sacrifice the blood loss. The ter- like Operation Cinder is terrifying. Like think about the Battlefront Two campaign. That is the just the death of worlds on a mm-hmm. massive scale. It's horrifying, and he is like, yeah, like doesn't he really question in order to save his fr- his buddies, who also we haven't really talked a lot about that part. May have done terrible things. Like, some of them may have not, but some of them definitely did horrible stuff, you know? Yeah. So, I think he trips in that point. I think he had the capacity to be good. I think if he he had been surrounded by more good influences, more good forces other than Palpatine, other than Grandmother, other than, you know, these really bad leaders, maybe he could have been better if he had been aside Hera, Mon Mothma, etc. But for me... I don't think he gets there. A great leader. I get why he'd follow him in a battle. I get why he's thought of fondly. I'll probably remember him as a fondly as a character. Absolutely. But you you can't be willing to kill that many innocents for the possibility of your own friends and still be considered a good person. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough, I, though. I think it's that's tough. fair. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. Y'all... That's all I have for tonight. And you thought mm. those were overarching questions? No, that was the character <laughs> section of this roundtable. Uh, next week, we will do overarching questions. We'll get somehow even deeper, maybe. Somehow. And then we will have some fun with some Easter eggs. Uh, but for now, I'll kick it back to Eric. All right, man. Gosh. And again, just a another shout out to, uh, I mean, Charles writes up all these prompts by himself we do not offer any input um how many pages was it this time charles 19 i I don't i don't think i I want to say oh okay yeah it was 19 (laughs) 19. um they really make this episode and we hope that all of y'all i know that some of y'all are listening to this live some of y'all listen to it in audio some of you may be listening to this four years later because you read differently that's fine i hope that you're getting really cool thoughts out of this because there is not a single book that we talk about that doesn't get more interesting to me through these roundtables, so I'm very excited. Next week, we will do our third part of this. We will not strive to make every book this year a three-part roundtable. No, please. And I doubt they will be, <laughs> but for a series that is ending like this, for a, and for Light of the Jedi, which started a whole new era, you know, we want to give them the respect they deserve. As always, we want to hear your thoughts in our Discord, in those YouTube comments, in those all, like iTunes reviews, anything you want, 
Let us know how we're doing. Let us know how you like the show. Um, and again, thank you to all of you in the chat for hanging out. These comments really make our night. We can't wait to see you next week. But my friends, that will do it for tonight's episode of The Living Force. If you already support us on Patreon, you know what? Head over to Discord tonight. We're going to have our Aftermath After Show. It's been a while. Head over to the video channel. Just hang out with us for a little while. Chat about, you know, are any of us good people? Are we all doomed to go to the road to hell with bad intentions? Who's to say? Um, but we'll have a nice, lovely chat. But a special thank you goes out to Cheryl Bell, Patrick Ortiz, and Carl Sander on our Jedi High Council, and Elizabeth Cloutier, Jason Mitchell, Freddie C., and Sally and Chris Eilerson on our Alliance High Command for your amazing support of this show and to all things Utini. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Eric Eilerson, Charles Zetsy Hankel, Wes Zetboss Wes, and Corey is that Night Shift Pediatrics? And is that Doc Star Wars MD? A special thank you to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor. Ryan, our graphic designer extraordinaire. And Wes, our, gosh, what are you? Producer, community manager, and freaking showrunner tonight. Well done giving us all together. Thank you to Charles and Wes for podcasting with me tonight. Thank you to all of you in the chat for your amazing insight. We will see you next week. And as always, may the force be with you. There is no hatred, there is joy. There is no division, there is union. There is no apathy, there is passion. There is no gatekeeping, there is community. This is the Utini Star Wars Fan Code. Embrace it, live by it, and above all, trust in the living force. Join the Utini community and surround yourself with like-minded fans at utini.com. And remember, the Force will be with you, always.